Ha. Lisa Jacobs, everybody. <laughs> okay, that'll do. Hmm. Hmm. Couple of things. Um, Alex talked about how we measure ourselves. Um, another thing we do as as people um, is we, we we measure time, don't we? And and um, I've been really struck this morning by how we measure time and understand time compared to how God does. Now I don't claim to understand God's understanding, but but I know that mathematically we we place a big importance on the past and we place a big importance on the future and the division between the past and the future that is the present we mathematically that's kind of has the value of zero doesn't it because it's just like a a mark on a ruler it has no value i know that god places the opposite value on on the present that god's value of of the present the here and now uh, is infinitely more valuable than what has happened in the past and what will happen in the future. I want to share that because there's something about the here and now. Um, there's something about um, whatever you've done this morning even, whatever you've brought, whatever you've prepared, um, it's, it's about now. Um, and that's uh, illustrated perfectly by me forgetting my iPad this morning <laughs> with all of my hours of preparation on. But seriously, I, I think that is significant. Um, when I realized that the bag I thought I'd put it in didn't contain my iPad, um, I had a little panic. And I spoke to Peter. He's a great person to speak to when you have a little panic. Um, and Peter, in his wisdom, just said, you know, basically, because I, I did have time to go back and get it, but I, I didn't. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't. After hearing and being part of what's happened so far this morning, there's something about the now, isn't there? There's something about the present and being in the present. Another thing I want to do is I want to honor the, the artist's amongst us, the, the seers, the people who see things differently, express things differently. Um, you could argue that that's all of us. But if you feel like you bring something to, to our community that, that clashes sometimes, that is it's a bit different, it's received differently, or it feels different when you communicate it and you struggle with that, I just want to say that um, the value I place on you is more than gold. You are a vital living part of our family, our community, our church, the church. And without you, um, this would be a dead, empty place. I know that because... Um, Lisa, stop sitting there. Get up here. I'm taking over. <laughs> I know that because... <laughs> Um, the minor prophet that I've been studying is Amos. And Amos lived in um, Judea, the southern part, the southern kingdom, which was uh, very impoverished. And he traveled to Israel, the northern kingdom, which was very affluent, very established. 
and he brought a word to, to the kingdom of, of Israel that did not go down well, let's say. He was, he was encouraged in no uncertain terms to go back to where he belonged and, and shut up. Um, so, you know, we feel like that sometimes. But the word he brought spoke directly against the establishment of, of, of fortresses. Uh, and the establishment, by that I mean, whatever we set up that protects what we've plundered or protects what we place a massive material value on, whatever we set up to protect that, or whatever we build to keep people out that don't agree with us or we don't agree with or we don't like because they're different, you know, whatever we establish to make, um, to make our life uh, this convenient, comfortable place where everybody is the same, everybody agrees with me, everybody looks like me, everybody thinks like me, I would say that's a fortress. And God spoke through Amos very, very, um, well, his anger burned towards the people that had established these fortresses. And he said, one by one, and he named them, that these fortresses in these kingdoms will be raised to the ground. They will be burnt up and raised to the ground. And that's what happened in the 200 years, 250 years, that passed from the time of Amos to the time of Haggai, which is what Lisa, see the link there? Which is what Lisa uh, has been studying. Um, and, and those fortresses reminded me this morning of potentially a place, a, a church, a family, a community, where the, the people who see differently and think differently and express themselves differently and question and sometimes uh, irritate and sometimes offend where those people have been exiled um, that's the very thing that God spoke against in 760 BC you know he said I, I hate these things that you've established these ivory towers I he even said I hate your worship you're improvising on harps it sounds rubbish that's a paraphrase but but God said that. He hated it because the heart of it was not worshipping God. It was inside the fortress. And coming from a place of a fortress um, is what God hates. Lisa, seriously, come and stand next to me because <laughs> it's me and you, not just me. <laughs> You're doing so well. <laughs> so kind of visually, if you see this as like a timeline, 760 BC, 250 years later. Ta-da! <laughs> Seamless. Haggai. It was 70 plus years old. So, somewhat of a youth, depending on who you're talking to. People lived a long time then. <laughs> yes, see? I've been caught out by this before. That old man with his wise words. No. His name actually means festival or holiday, which are quite exactly... Which is why he's... You know, his book in the Bible is two chapters, one and a half pages long. <laughs> but he's pretty organized, direct, to the point. But through and through, he was a pastor. Not a pastor of a church, but had the gifting and call of a pastor. Yes, he was a prophet and brought the word of God. But deep down at the heart of him was the hearts of all the people that he had witnessed 
come out from a place of exile. They'd been battered, bruised, broken, a squillion times more than we could ever imagine and wouldn't want to wish upon ourselves at all. He's an encourager, tuned into the heart of God. So when he brings the four prophecies that God gives him, it's not from a place of wrath and it's not from a place of beating everyone with a massive stick and saying, what are you being up to? Nout by the look of it. He didn't do that at all. He had three main strands to what he brought to the people. It was about rebuilding, restoring, and renewing. He wanted to rebuild the fallen temple. That was what the people were tasked with physically, to physically rebuild the, former, the fallen temple. To restore that which had been lost through disobedience, through discouragement, through distraction, but also through the total decimation of everything the people had had. They'd lost everything. Imagine everything you have and you own being wiped out. Imagine having to fight for that. We don't have to fight to stand here to bring God's word. Some people have to fight for water to drink. We get to choose our songs of worship. Some people aren't allowed a voice at all. And then he spoke about renewing, renewing the identity of the people, reminding them of who they are. I think this picture is beautiful for many reasons, but most of all because of that band of gold. Because in Haggai, we read about a signet ring that's given to the people, a signet ring that God sets and gives to Zerubbabel, who came from the line of David, which is the line that Jesus was born from. So it's really important. That signet ring, that seal upon which God says to the people, I am yours, I am with you, I have chosen you. So when we looked at these two prophets, one thing that we thought between us was, you know, it's all well and good reading the Old Testament, but what relevance does it have now? Well, the relevance of the right here, right now is summed up perfectly in this picture we've just been shown by somebody who's never been here before and to whom I hadn't spoken to until 10 o'clock this morning. <laughs> in Haggai, we hear about God saying, my spirit is with you. That doesn't happen an awful lot in the Old Testament. So already at that point, when God's saying, rebuild my fallen temple, cultivate in yourselves that kingdom heart. He's already equipping his people with a tool they didn't know they had, which was the spirit of God. And it's a tool with which, a partner with whom we can do that in our own lives today. So this, this farmer, Amos, who by his own admission wasn't a prophet, um, travels up to this place with well-established fortresses and palaces, and he asks questions and, he, and he, he tells them what God is saying in no uncertain terms. And he's even told by the, 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 the remaining prophets who, to be honest, were just there to, to be sycophantic towards the, the powers that be. You know, they'd, they'd made sure that in their youth they had got rid of all the, the actual prophets in that part in, in Israel. And he, he was told to, to go back to Judea. 
but he spoke against these fortresses. He spoke against the, the absolute wickedness. And you, you, you can think sometimes that there's no wickedness like Old Testament wickedness. Do you know what I mean? It's like proper old school wickedness. Um, but actually, that's, that's wrong. Um, when I read all of the things, the awful things, really awful things, that the people of Israel were involved with, you know, the injustice, the inequality, the, the, the hatred, the, the just, just the lack of kindness, humility, justice that Peter spoke about last week. Um, it, it's easy to start believing that actually that was then and people were awful, but, but actually every single thing described, unfortunately, in, in that book uh, and that prophecy still takes place today. So that hasn't changed. In terms of wickedness, we've, we've learned nothing over the centuries, over the, you know, over the millennia. We've learned nothing. The other thing that hasn't changed is, is God, of course. And yet God feels and sounds very different in the Old Testament than he does now. And again, you know, thank you, Peter, for an excellent word last week where you described um, what has changed and what hasn't changed with, with God. And that our salvation, our salvation is the thing that's changed. The covenant we've stepped into with God is the thing that's changed. He still hates the same things. He still loves the same things. And thankfully, he loves us. But he hates the establishment of fortresses. And 250 years later, Haggai talks about the rebuilding of the temple. Now it says in the Bible that the temple now is, is us. We are the living temple. So let me read from an actual Bible that I've found some writing in. Preparation, you see. Mm -hmm. This um, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself at the chief, as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And you... In, in him too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's Ephesians. And in 1 Peter, it says, this is one of those passages where if you read nothing else in the Bible, you know it's one of those. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual home to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Before that, it speaks about like how little God values our, our sacrifices, you know, 
the, the rams, the bulls. Um, it is bull in a, in a different sense. And, and God speaks very, very disdainfully about everything we establish that we see as being a, a, worthy, a, worthy, a worthy sacrifice. Hmm. <laughs> That's fine. I'll just shrink as well. <laughs> so we are, we are a living, breathing, now present temple. And when we operate from a place of temple, not a place of fortress, that's when we start doing justice, loving kindness, and walking in humility with our God. When we start operating from a place of temple and not a place of fortress, that's when our works are, are, are not despicable in the eyes of God. That's when our works start to work. So what are we building and what are we cultivating? The house of the Lord versus our own house to put it in more practical, literal terms. Haggai said to the people, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. When we move from a place of fortress to a place of temple, our perspective vastly changes on what it is worth keeping a hold of and building into our lives and what we absolutely need to reject and allow God to sift from our lives. Because remember, it's not about our self-motivation. It's about the motivation placed in us by God, that I am with you. That's God motivation. That's Holy Spirit motivation. If it's not him, if it's not him in us, then there's not an awful lot of point in doing it. It'll actually be to your detriment if he's not in it with you. Self-motivation, self-centered, being in control. And it's really easy to do that because we're people and we like something to grab onto, to steady the way. And it's not always so easy to grab onto Holy Spirit. But he never leaves us. What happens when we take our eyes and focus away from Jesus, when we look to repairing our broken fence? Or if our walls come down a little bit, oh no, I'm exposed, I'm vulnerable, how do I build that straight back up? When we take our eyes from Jesus and put it onto the wall in front of us, and we focus on building that a little higher, apathy can set in, and we can lose our sense of direction, we can lose sight of the vision. And don't get me wrong, I'd really not bring in any sense of condemnation, because we all do this. We all get a little scared. We all forget sometimes that Jesus is with us because the world is big and it's scary and fear is all around us. But us, called and chosen by God, God who's chosen each one of us as his temple to dwell in, is transforming us day by day by the renewing of our mind, not because we conform to the pattern of this world. We are transformed and we are renewed. We're really good at filling up all the gaps in our life. Anyone who says they're not <laughs> is fibbing. <laughs> it's really good to fill the gaps up with stuff. And I'm on a prayer ministry team, and I can't tell you how many times we break off 
the bonds of people that are set in, the strongholds, we pray out the muck, people come and put their stuff before Jesus, and we pray a blessing over them, and they get ready to move, and we say, no, you can't go yet. They say, well, why not? You've released me from all this stuff. I've given it all to Jesus. Yes, that's fantastic, but have you waited to receive his mercy, his grace, his love, his peace, to fill in those gaps? Because I can tell you, Jesus is the foundation on which we set our lives upon, the cornerstone of which there is no other like him. We're not invited to establish a new foundation. We're invited to establish our lives upon the foundation that has already been established in the heavenlies and here now on earth. So it's so important that we choose to allow Holy Spirit to fill in those gaps in our foundation because he does it ever so gently. He's ever so lovely. When God reveals in his love and grace what we've established in our lives that is a fortress and not a temple, he does reveal those things to us, doesn't he, in, in a gentle way. And also in a gentle way, he, he, I guess, seeks our permission to raise them to the ground, to destroy them. Um, and when we give him permission to do that, he, he is then able to build us up and... Um, with that in mind, just thinking about the expression raised to the ground, it's, a, it's an oxymoron really, isn't it? Because raising implies going up, but to the ground implies going down. So I, I almost get the, the, the sort of picture of if a building is raised to the ground, it kind of goes up a bit like a cartoon first and then slumps down to the ground. And I, I think um, I finally thought of a title for this painting and that it's raised to the ground. Because there's something in that painting about being, being pushed down low, but being raised up high, you know? So, yeah, finally thought of a title, Raised to the Ground. So what, what will we allow God to raise to the ground so he can raise us up on the right foundation? It could be something really uh, relatively small and insignificant, but nev nevertheless... We've established something that, that we're seeking to protect with the walls of a fortress. Will you allow God to, to reveal that to you and to raise it to the ground? Hmm. So how do we do that practically? Because we've probably all got that one friend that can come up to us and go, boom, you need to fix that because it really hurts when you're like that or the not-so-friendly voice that says, you're a thorn in my side and a pain in my bum. Yes, we've either all had that friend or been that friend, I should imagine. Discouragement is set in for the Jews as they're, well, not really completing their task of rebuilding the temple. And discouragement is a really destructive force that is very much living and active in the world that we live in. How do I know that? Well, I'm yet to read about anyone who's died through over-encouragement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you might well laugh. It's quite a salient point, isn't it, really? You know, when was the last time you were encouraged? Or moreover, when was the last time you encouraged somebody? We all said a great big hello and hi and hug, if you're that way inclined to the person next to us this morning and behind us and in front of us. But how often do we go out of our way to encourage people? How often do we build in encouragement and kindness 
into our daily walk. God-inspired stuff. The crowd that had come out of exile and were tasked with rebuilding the temple were much like us here today. Um, Different shapes and sizes, ages, and all the rest of it, personality types. And for some, they had seen the old temple. They had seen the former glory of God. So if you were to ask them, wow, what was it like back then? They'd tell you it was amazing, phenomenal, glorious, lit up. The worship was like nothing you'd ever heard before. Those people were so anointed. You know, the way they did that was fantastic. You've got a wave of people who never saw that, never experienced it, never touched that, never lived in it, and they're tasked with rebuilding the temple to reestablish this glory of God. Well, how do you have a framework for that if you've never seen it, tasted it, experienced it, touched it? And if you're surrounded by a bunch of discouraged people who are reasonably and understandably so quite miffed that it doesn't exist anymore and they've been usurped out of one life into another and they've got nothing left to show for it, if that vision hasn't been passed on, if that testimony hasn't been passed on, how do you know what you're pressing on for? Because God says we go from one degree of glory to the next. Not we go from one degree of glory, but remember how good John Wimber and his ministry was, so we'll skip back a few to there, because everyone knows the words to those songs. Like Alan said, there's a proper place and time to honor the old wells. Absolutely, because without them, none of us would be at this point right here, right now. There's an apostolic movement being raised up on the shoulders of initially some men who are all 50 plus. It's grand to be in your 50s, but what if culture was so that those people had been raised up, those men had been raised up when they're in their 30s? And again, that's not bringing condemnation, but if we get to be the flow and be part of cultivating the new, what does that look like right now? We pray for our kids that go upstairs all the time. Come on, you're in this now. It's right here, right now, as Richard says. How do we suss out what we're cultivating? And how do we bring it into the light of God? Well, we go back to Psalm 139 and say, Search me, O Lord, and test me. Sift out any anxious thought within me. That's what we do. Because as much as it looks wonderful corporately, we have a personal individual responsibility to allow Holy Spirit to sift through our hearts, to take out the, the bits that aren't supposed to be there and refine them and beautify them and bring their sparkle back because he sees all the gold in us. So what have you come here with today that you'd like to leave without? Because we've all had revelation of a wall in our lives from time to time but revelation of the wall in front of us is definitely step one or step two. Step three is to choose to engage with God in the process of taking it down brick by brick. But God can do things in an instant. Absolutely, he can. But as Haggai shows us, three months of being steadfast in God doesn't necessarily instantly undo 16 years of turning away and living in disobedience. Thankfully, we now have Jesus, this new covenant established between us that shall never be broken. We have a way, he opened up a way 
but it still involves us participating and choosing. And I say this to myself as well, choosing to say, God, you know, I, I really need that wall to come down. Oh Lord, thank you for smashing that fortress in giving me the practical steps to walk out day by day, how I undo those habits I've learned, how I get out of the default that I've established, how I get out of the routine that's familiar and comfortable and helps me hide under a rock when I don't want to deal with something. Or behind a cushion in my case. That's usually my go-to. Step by step. So let's leave it there from, from our input. Let's continue to, to just be in the present, in the now, with, with our living, breathing, temple relationship with the cornerstone. Hmm. Bless you. Alexander Body was an amazing man of God. And um, we hear of people from all over the world flock to that church. Not really because of Alexander Body, but because of the presence of God that was stewarded by Alexander Body. And one of the people who flocked to that church, somebody we all know called Smith Wigglesworth. But let me tell you something. <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth turned up at the church and left disappointed. And he was so disappointed and frustrated, he decided to go to the vicarage to let Alexander know. And Alexander wasn't there, but Alexander's wife was. And it was her who laid hands on Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth received an anointing of the Holy Spirit through the laying on hands of Alexander's body's wife. We are all wells. We all carry that same capacity.